0: Hi, I'm Rick Schwartz. And I'm Marco Went. Welcome to Amazing Wildlife, where we explore unique stories of wildlife from around the world and uncover fascinating animal facts. This podcast is a production of iHeartRadio and San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance, an international nonprofit conservation organization which oversees the San Diego Zoo and Safari Park. We're kicking off a new season of Amazing Wildlife, and I want to take a moment to introduce my new co-host, you may recognize his voice from last season's Axolotl episode, where he helped us learn more about the origin and culture around the word Axolotl. Everyone, meet Marco Went, fellow Wildlife Ambassador of the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. It's good to have you here, Marco.
1: Buenos dias, world. And thanks, Rick. I am super pumped to be co-hosting Amazing Wildlife
0: with you. I got a feeling we're going to have a lot of fun. I'm certain we're going to have a good time too. Now, of course, I know you very well. We have worked together for years, but I'd love for you to take a moment to let our audience know a little more about you. Yeah, of course. You know, I grew up at the San
1: Diego Zoo Safari Park. I've been an animal trainer at our beautiful bird shows, moved into the bird department as a wildlife care specialist, working with incredible wildlife like a southern cassowary. And now I get to be a wildlife ambassador just like you, right?
0: Sharing these wonderful stories. Marco, you mentioned your time as a wildlife care specialist working with birds at the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. And I know that also includes helping with Butterfly Jungle, which just happens to be happening right now at the release of this episode and continues through May 14th. Knowing it's happening now and knowing I miss certain aspects of actually working directly with the animals, I was wondering, is there anything you miss about Butterfly Jungle? Oh, you know what? I have to say my top two favorite
1: memories. One, the ecosystem. I love rainforest habitats. So going into the pupa room and just feel what it's like to be in a rainforest. But my ultimate favorite memory is watching these butterflies when they just came out of that cocoon. And they open up those wings as a butterfly and do their first flights into hidden jungle. It's
0: awesome. I know what you mean. I've been there a couple of times for the release. The wildlife care specialist brings the butterflies out into the rainforest. These are basically the the open aviary. And it really does bring out that childhood awe. Yeah, you know, I'm also continually fascinated when I see the butterflies emerging from their chrysalis. Oh, agreed. You know, I'm always so curious
1: what's going on in there. I know, and, right? And, yeah, it's, it's crazy. And honestly, when I see that movement right before they're about to emerge, that's super fascinating, where they're breaking out of that cocoon or or the chrysalis,
0: you know, whatever we want to call it. Right. So this is the thing, is is I wonder too, what exactly happens inside the chrysalis or cocoon and is it chrysalis or cocoon, which is it? <laughs> I know, Are those
1: I interchangeable? Don't, I really
0: don't know either. Well, the good news is we do work at the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance, and we happen to have access to people who can probably answer both these questions for us.
2: I am Lynn Fenema, and I am the Senior Wildlife Care Specialist in Insects at the San Diego Zoo. A cocoon is going to be something that usually a moth makes. It's usually made out of silk, Sometimes it's pieces of leaves or whatever from their surroundings. It's something that they make to surround themselves with. A chrysalis is the actual animal itself. So when you're looking at a chrysalis, like, say, a monarch chrysalis, you're actually looking at the actual animal itself. There's a lot going on inside of there, but that's its actual body. As opposed to cocoon, you're looking at a covering.
1: One sec, Rick. Before we get into what happens in the chrysalis, I was kind of hoping to talk about the caterpillar stage a little bit. Because at Butterfly Jungle, we receive the chrysalis and hang them in the peeper room. But I know more happens before it
0: becomes a chrysalis. Ah, good idea. Uh, Lynn, can you start from the beginning of the caterpillar's life for us?
2: Yeah, so once it hatches from an egg, it's just going to eat and eat and eat. Basically that's what a caterpillar's job is, right? Is just their whole life is just eating and growing bigger. That's all they do, it's a great life. And as they grow older and they grow bigger, they have to shed their exoskeleton in order to grow. For an insect, their exoskeleton is kind of like clothes we wear almost. As we get bigger, our clothes don't get bigger. We have to get new clothes, right? As we get bigger and older. Same thing with them. As they grow, they have to shed that exoskeleton, and there's a brand new bigger one underneath. And so they're going to molt. Uh, It it varies for caterpillars. For something like a monarch, it's usually like four or five times. They're going to molt and get significantly bigger each time. About four or five molts will do that.
0: Okay, now I have a question. Did she say exoskeleton for a caterpillar? Because when I think of a caterpillar, I think Well, squishy, honestly. (laughs) And when I think of exoskeleton, I think of something hard, like the outer side of a beetle or something like that. Yeah, but I don't
1: think caterpillars have skeletons or a bone structure inside. So I guess exoskeleton makes sense.
2: It's not as hard as like a beetle exoskeleton. It's still there, but it's thinner and just not as hard as a beetle's exoskeleton. But they still have one. It's going to be most noticeable on what we call the head capsule, the part that is on the head is very noticeable when they molt, so when they shed that, you usually just see the head capsule come off and then a little bit of the exoskeleton skin, but it's a very thin and papery, so it's still there. It's just thinner.
1: Oh, wow. Well, that makes sense. But if the caterpillar eats and grows and sheds and eats and grows and sheds, how does it know when it's time to become a chrysalis? Does it need to eat a certain amount of food, or is it after so many days after hatching from an egg, or... Is it something else?
2: There's two hormones that are going to control how a caterpillar grows and what it's going to turn into. ecdysone, and there's juvenile hormone. And those are two really, really important things for an insect to grow and determines what they turn into. So ecdysone, that hormone controls when it's going to molt. When those levels, those hormone levels start to rise in the caterpillar, that tells it, OK, it's time for me to molt, Right. If there's juvenile hormone, you can guess by the name juvenile, if there's also juvenile hormone present, that's going to tell the caterpillar, I'm going to molt and my next molt, I'm still going to be a caterpillar. As the caterpillar naturally gets older, those juvenile hormones start to drop. So you still have the ectisone, right? That's telling it you need to change. But then when the juvenile hormone levels drop below a certain point, no more juvenile hormone, that tells it now it's time. Now I need to turn into the pupa. And that's just the two main ones. There's a whole, you could go down a whole rabbit hole of all the physiology and the hormones involved in the different secretions and glands. Like I said, it's a lot more complicated. You can go as far into it as you want. They've got uh, different glands. They they have a brain that secretes some of these hormones. It's you know, not like a mini version of our brain, but they still have one. <laughs> and all these organs that all work together to make this happen. But the ecdysone and the juvenile hormone, those are the two big ones that control molting.
1: That is so awesome. I mean, it makes sense now that I hear it. Besides, we know hormones control different stages of development in mammals, birds, and reptiles. So why not invertebrates too?
0: Seriously, that is so fascinating. I mean, yeah, it makes sense, but wow. I do have a follow-up question though. Lynn, you mentioned it turns into a pupa. What does that mean? What what is a pupa?
2: It's the life stage. So, for example, there's the egg that it starts off with. The larvae is the caterpillar, like the the baby phase, the juvenile phase. The pupa then is that middle transition phase, and it pupates. That's is a verb. The caterpillar pupates. So the pupa is that middle stage, and then you have the adult butterfly, moth, what have you.
0: Ah, that makes sense now. Thanks for defining that for us. Okay, Marco, it sounds like we have an understanding of what happens up to the point of the caterpillar becoming a chrysalis, or the pupa stage. I want to know one more thing before we answer the original question of what happens in the chrysalis. Oh, man. Now I'm curious about what you're curious about. (laughs) Okay, okay. (laughs) When the caterpillar's hormones say you're done being a caterpillar and now it's time to molt into a chrysalis, as far as I understand it, Caterpillars will try to find the underside of a branch or the underside of a leaf to hang from. What is it that they use to anchor themselves when they hang like that?
2: It varies depending on what the caterpillar is, what species it is. The one you're probably gonna be familiar with is the monarch caterpillars. They actually have hooks at the very end of their body, the very tip of their body, and they're actually going to make a silk pad, stick that onto something like the underside of a piece of wood or whatever, And then they dig their hooks into that little piece of silk. And that's what they're gonna hang on to. So it's actually, the way the monarchs do it is rather precarious because they're literally hanging just by these hooks, they're hanging upside down, you know, in that classic J shape. They're just hanging from that one point. So, you know, you get a good hard breeze or they shake a little bit and they could fall. There are some other caterpillars that are a little more sturdy. Some of them will actually make like a little hammock for themselves to actually pupate in. Uh, some of them won't even do that. Some of them just go straight to the ground, under the ground, or just dropping some leaves, which is and a kind of a lazy way to do it, but you know, and they're not gonna fall. So that's something. So they can use hooks or silk to hang themselves from different things.
1: It's wild to think that a monarch caterpillar has this ability to make silk all along, but it only
0: uses it once in its whole life and for such an important job too. I know, right? Where other caterpillar species will, like, make a silk hammock or a moth species will spin a cocoon and hide in some leaf litter, monarch caterpillars are like, I've got this one shot to do this right. My whole future life depends on it. Okay, I think now, though, Marco, it's fair to say we've answered all the questions we've unearthed by trying to answer this one question. Let's finally get to the whole reason we asked Lynn to join us. Oh, oh, is it time to ask? I think it is. Okay, Lynn, we want to know. Marco, wait. What? Before you ask, I want to know from you. Before we had a chance to talk to Lynn, and before you worked at Butterfly Jungle at the Safari Park, what did you think happened inside the chrysalis? (laughs) You know,
1: honestly, I thought it was some combination of, like, ninja turtles when they were original (laughs) turtles going into the ooze, some kind of mutation, or maybe like a werewolf, something along those lines.
0: A werewolf? (laughs) I know, I know. Okay, well, yeah, I have to admit. Honestly, I have to say I had no idea until my own curiosity got the better of me a couple years ago, and I looked it up. (gasps) But prior to knowing for sure... I assume the caterpillar's body just shrunk down to the size of a butterfly's body, and then it grew long legs and the wings, and I mean, it made sense in my head anyhow. Okay, okay. I think it's time to find out the real answer. Yeah, go for it, ask her.
1: Okay, Lynn, Rick and I have shared what we think happens inside the chrysalis, but now we need to hear what actually happens when this plant-eating larva called the caterpillar makes itself into a chrysalis. And then comes out this magical flying creature that lives off of the nectar of flowers.
2: This is so cool. It just, it really blew my mind when I first learned about this. So what actually is happening is it's not like we said, you know, it's not just growing wings or anything like that. The whole animal itself, that caterpillar inside of that chrysalis actually breaks down into essentially caterpillar soup. It turns into goo, essentially. There are enzymes that go to work and actually break down and digest all of the caterpillar into different parts. Now there's a few parts like um, the breathing tubes and things that will remain the same so that the animal can keep on living. But all the different parts that you saw before are actually gonna break down and just turn into soup. If you were to break open a chrysalis early, you would just get goop, but that is the animal. So how does it go from that to a butterfly? Incredible, right? There's clumps of cells inside of the caterpillar that have always been there. They're called imaginal disks. The caterpillar is actually born with this. Even when it's just an egg, it always had these imaginal disks inside of itself. And they remain dormant until the time comes. So when it goes into the pupae and the digestive enzymes have broken it down, Then those imaginal disks start up. They start multiplying and growing like crazy. And it's those imaginal disks that are going to multiply and turn that soup into all the new different body parts that are going to make up the butterfly. There's an imaginal disks for legs, there's a group for wings, a group for the head, that sort of thing. So those clumps of cells that were dormant inside this animal the whole time are finally gonna turn on and turn that whole mess that was a caterpillar into something completely new.
0: Whoa, that is so rad. Seriously, everything turns to caterpillar soup? Can you imagine
1: what once was a foot cell and what once was a mouth cell are all just floating around, bumping into each other, just waiting to be reconstructed into something new?
0: I mean, essentially everything that was once a caterpillar gets broken down and recycled into a butterfly. But that makes me wonder, if mostly everything gets turned into caterpillar soup and then rebuilt as a butterfly, are they just coming out as a butterfly, like a whole new being? Like this is day one for them in their mind? Or do they have any memory or knowledge of life as a caterpillar?
2: There is one study where they actually taught caterpillars to avoid certain smells. So when the caterpillar... These certain smells were exposed to it, they learned to move away from it. They were taught not to like it. You take that caterpillar, turns into a butterfly. That butterfly still flies away from that smell that it didn't like when it was a caterpillar. So there's some part that they do still remember from being a caterpillar. They do learn, and there's something about them that still stays. I don't know how that happens, honestly, how they can retain that memory, but they do. And they remember that bad smell that they don't like, and they try to get away from it. All
0: right. blown. I have so many more questions about what a butterfly remembers and doesn't remember about the process of being a caterpillar and then becoming a chrysalis filled with caterpillar soup and then hatching out. I mean, for instance, have you ever suddenly had a craving for some comfort food from your childhood and then just sat down and enjoyed it? I mean, does a butterfly ever get a craving to have some leaves that it used to munch on when it was a caterpillar? I don't know, <laughs> but I wanna know. Yeah, I gotta admit, I was a fan before, but I'm even more
1: into butterflies now. I mean, I knew some of this already, but the memory, the imaginal cells,
0: que padre. I am right there with you, Marco. It is so cool. And as amazing as it is, I think my favorite part was hearing how passionate and excited Lynn was to share what she knows about the animals she cares for. Honestly, I'm kind of curious, Lynn, where does this love and passion for invertebrates come from?
2: Oh, my gosh. I mean, you know, like a lot of people go through that bug phase when they're a little kid where, like, you're coming home with caterpillars in your pockets and that sort of thing. Like, I never grew out of that. (laughs) I still, you know, love exploring and finding bugs and just looking at them. I I think they're the closest things that we can get to magical creatures out there just from, like I was telling you, with just how complicated— pupating is and things like that. I just, I think they're so fascinating. And I just never have and never will grow out of that mystified phase of, of, of looking at these guys.
0: <laughs> thank you, Lynn, for completely and forever changing how we look at the magic that is a butterfly.
2: Yes, thank
1: you, Lynn, and everyone in the entomology department at the San Diego Zoo. And of course, everyone in the bird department at the Safari Park, who are all working so hard to make butterfly
0: jungle such a magical experience. Oh, and I also want to say thank you to the horticulture department, too, Marco, because they bring in an awful lot of flowering plants for all of those butterflies to enjoy. And I think that kind of falls under the radar sometimes because we're so distracted by the butterflies. And that leads me to my next thought, really. It's fair to remind everyone that butterflies and many other invertebrates, yes, they are beautiful and borderline magical, but they play an important role in the environment and the ecosystems that we all rely on, be it pollination powers of the butterfly or the ability to break down natural materials, like maybe a larvae or caterpillar could. All very important for the plants and beneficial to all of us. All right. So what do you think, Marco? Was this a good way to kick off season two? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we
1: got to talk about butterflies, Safari Park, San Diego Zoo. One team, one dream. So I thought it was perfect.
0: And also caterpillar soup. Oh, yeah. Can't forget <laughs> about the soup. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. We hope you learn something new about caterpillars and butterflies. Be sure to subscribe and tune in to our next episode, in which we let our curiosity lead us to some surprising information about one of Africa's big cats. I'm Marco Went, And I'm Rick Schwartz. Thanks for listening. For more information about the San Diego Zoo and San Diego Zoo Safari Park, go to sdzwa.org. Amazing Wildlife is a production of iHeartRadio. Our supervising producer is Nakia Swinton, and our sound designer and editor is Sierra Spreen. For more shows from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.